If you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3. Father, we're so thankful that you have given us your word and that we have it this morning with us. We look to you as the only source of our hope, the one who must open our eyes, the one who must allow us to see and understand um, that we might believe in your word might go deep down into our hearts and produce a hundredfold. I ask this morning, O oh Lord, that you would use what's said this morning to encourage and strengthen and uplift us all, that we might find in you everything that we need for life and for godliness. But we ask this as those who are united to your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of our particular journey on becoming a church on mission. And as I close this series, I I want to encourage you all with one last thing. Because if we get this one thing right, I truly believe that we get the rest right. Um, This is the center and the core of all that is necessary. And I think the worst thing I could do, but what I was tempted to do, is give you a rah-rah-ree kind of sermon, let's go get him, and uh, let's get on mission. But typically what happens is that might work or might be effective for a moment. It's easy to motivate uh, people. Well, I shouldn't say it's easy. You can motivate people and get them to move, but then it, it doesn't last. But what we need, we need something that lasts. We need something on a daily basis that really strengthens us and builds us. And one of the other things we don't need, we don't need more work. We don't need things to do. Uh, We need more grace. And so that the work that does come through us is the work of grace, that God has worked in us. And uh, so I think we need to remember the words that were read for us this morning in John 15, when Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I think... Herein lies one of the most important issues for us ever to be on mission. This is, this is the centerpiece that we have to get right. Because as look at what Jesus did said, just said. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if as we abide in him, what did he say will happen? We will produce much fruit. So abiding in Jesus is everything. Ed uh, Sizuski said in his book on prayer, Evangelicals such as myself have been rallied to the cause of Christ based on facts, demographics, and scripture verses. These things can serve us well in their place, but they are not the foundation. They are not the starting point that sends us to serve others from the depths of God's endless acceptance and mercy. A cause is a good thing. But when a cause is married to religion, 
We have a perfect storm for anxious religious people who are always trying to outdo each other in their commitment and purity. Is it any surprise that today we have extreme contentious evangelical factions in the American church who are all convinced about their own doctrinal and activist purity? End quote. You know, I think we have to realize that the church will only live on mission when God's love is experienced on a continual basis. We have to live there. We have to abide there. We have to stay there. Because it's from there that actual mission takes place. And the reality is, God's love is only fully experienced in Jesus. We won't know God's love, we won't experience God's love until we remain steadfast and fixed and abide in Jesus. In Ephesians 3, which I had you turn to, verses 14 through 19, this is where Paul is praying for the Ephesian church before he breaks into his exhortation. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's one of my favorite passages. You've heard me uh, proclaim that often. And as God reveals to us here, there is nothing so powerful or transformative to fill us with the fullness of God as knowing the love of Jesus. Paul knows that coming to grips with the love of Jesus, abiding in his power, abiding in it, is the power for all the outflow of ministry and godliness. It's the source. This is where you've got, it's the anchor. It's from which and through which you will have any kind of ministry. He has just spent the first three chapters of this book in Ephesians explaining the love and the grace that's found in Jesus. And now he's about to head into chapters four through six. And if you, and if you recall, chapter four, uh, the first part is all about the ministry that comes as a result of the Spirit. And then from there, all the practical applications and how it fleshes out in every aspect of life. Paul knows that the love of Jesus has to be firmly rooted in our hearts because we have a problem within us that can only be fixed by the love of God. Every single person here, all of us, have a problem in here. And there's no way we're going to be uh, loving others until we rest in, abide in, and, and, and get really centered in on this love of Christ for us. We have to know it. It has to fill us. As humans, the moment you and I feel loved or realize that we are loved, when we have this really overwhelming sense of being loved, when we feel it fills us, when we know we're loved, and then we loved. When we don't feel loved, or we don't sense God's love, we automatically get a sense of emptiness. All of a sudden, there becomes this anxiety in us. We get meaninglessness. We get insecurity. And, and we start to have a longing for something to fill us. And this can happen day to day. 
You, you don't abide in Jesus. You drift from this love. And all of a sudden, something happens. God has designed us. He created us so that within us, we would know him and his love. And so the moment that's taken away, it creates a vacuum. And then we start looking to people or titles or work or ministry or anything else other than God. And that thing becomes an idol. Because we start to look to things, other stuff, to give what only God can give. You know, think of it this way. All of us are all driven to eat when we're hungry. When you're hungry, what do you want to do? Get me some food. You start looking around for food. But once we've eaten and are full, there's we no longer desire food. Have you ever been really full and then look at food and almost have a disdain for it? What I mean, remember I <laughs> what's that? Never. <laughs> Never. I remember Isaiah's often said, Man, I look that commercial has made me sick because he just finished stuffing himself and he was so full. And this is often what happens. When we're full, we no longer have this hunger. We're satiated. And in some cases we, we look at those things and we go, Oh, we're not interested in them at all. In like manner, the desires of our heart drive us. And the only way to stop it is to fill it. And the only way to truly fill it is with the love of God, because that is how God made us. God made us so that we will only be completely satiated, only be completely satisfied, only be completely filled when we know and rest in his love. And then all of a sudden the soul is in a different place. Now all the things that tempted you and drew you before, they're not so appetizing. You're satiated. God has filled you. This is why Paul is praying that the Ephesians would know the greatness of the love of Christ. He knows that then when they were filled with the fullness of God, what will happen? That will flow out in love towards others. He knows he's about to turn the corner in Ephesians 4 and says, here, here it comes. This is what, this is what the gospel calls you to be and do. But you have to be grounded in and abide in Jesus and his love for you. We all also have to understand that when Paul says that he prays that they would know his love, he doesn't mean that they would somehow wake up in the morning with a revelation of how they've been loved and then be changed forever and never have to come back to the place of understanding this again or really uh, abiding in this. It's not a one-time man. If they could just see it, bam, everything's fixed, done forever. He knows that the realization of this love is something we have to grow in, something we have to abide in on a daily basis, something that we have to, by faith, continually lay hold of. We all know from our experience, don't we? We all know that, yeah, you can come to this place where you, it's like the lights come on for a moment or you understand or it, 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 it like it becomes clear and you lay hold of it. And man, it changes everything. But even sometimes by the evening, that's gone and there's like an emptiness again and you're wondering what happened. Because it, it's, it's not static, it's dynamic. It's a relationship, and like all relationships, and you know this with any relationship, there's good days, there's bad days. There's, there's, there's times where it's close, and there's times when you feel miles apart. It's fluctuating because of all the variables in life, and so one of the things that you have to do is constantly fight to abide in it. And this is also like Paul has to continually teach. 
You look, he's writing letters to churches, and we know that he's in Ephesus for, for two years, day after day, teaching. And what's he hammering to them? He's hammering to them Jesus. He's revealing to them Jesus in the scriptures, that they would know the love of God in Jesus. He knows that we have to be taught this. We have to be reminded of this. We have to be presented with this. We have to see and know and understand. He didn't just pray and say, now that I prayed, once God turns on the lights, that's it. No more is needed. No, Paul would just continually lay before the people the glorious riches that are theirs in Christ Jesus. He knows that if they see, if they understand the love of Jesus, they will be filled with the fullness of God, and then that love will flow out. And here's the other thing he knows. It isn't just in hearing it. This is also why he prays for them. You can't just hear it. You actually have to believe it. You can't just know it. You have to believe it. It's got to get out of here and enter into here. It's got to be, you got to lay hold of it with your heart, not just your head. It's, it's like the physical realm again with food. If you're going to receive the nourishment of the food, you have to take it, put it in your mouth, chew it, and then swallow it to receive it into your body. That's the, if you want to receive it into your body, there's a process, but it's not going to be received until you actually swallow it. In the spiritual realm, we, in like manner, we have to take the truth, and we have to mull it, and we have to think about it, and then we have to believe it to receive it into our souls. With food, we swallow it into our bodies. With spiritual food, we believe it into our souls. The receiving is consummated in the believing. So I, so if I believe that God loves me, is pleased with me, is for me, and is working everything out for my good, I receive in my soul love, joy, and peace. But if I doubt it, or if I don't believe it, or if I'm wavering on it, there is no love, there is no joy, there is no peace. What's left in my soul is hunger. It can be anxiety and a desire to be loved. And so then what happens? If we don't go to a God and if we don't abide in Jesus, we go looking for love in all the wrong places, right? So one thing to be careful of, you know, that I've noticed when, when people are anxious or feeling hunger to be loved is praying something, praying things that we already have. Because here's, here's the thing. We have to believe it. That's the call that we would just lay hold of it. A lot of, here's how truth works. It's fact. It's finished. It's here. It's done. No more needs to be done with truth. It's true. This is what happened. All the work of Jesus is done, finished. Now, what needs to be happen is we have to believe it. We have to lay hold of it. And sometimes we pray not knowing or completely understanding this, and I think we're all guilty of it. How often do we pray that God would, for example, draw near to us or be with us or show us in some way his love anew? Allow us to, or allow us to experience a wonderful sense of his praying, of his presence. 
We pray like this because what we pray from is our experience. We, when, we, when we pray that God would draw near to us, what are we feeling like? We're feeling like God's not near to us. But the problem, is, is, that, is that true? The truth is this. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I couldn't be more with you. <laughs> I'm, I dwell with you by the Spirit. That's fact. That's truth. The problem isn't God drawing near to us. The problem is us believing what is already true. We have to believe it. And so this is, this is always the dilemma. It's not, so sometimes we judge our experience and then we ask God for things on the basis of our experience and it's not correct. Because the problem is that we're not believing it. And this is what ends up happening. When we pray for things that God has already done or given, it cultivates unbelief. What we have to do is affirm and stand on the truth. And so instead of praying for God to draw near to us, God is with us and he's near us. Pray, we need to pray that, 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 oh, uh, or, or just even affirm, declare to God, God, you are with me. You will never leave me nor forsake me. That's standing on the truth. That's believing the truth. And so if we pray, oh God, help me to know and see and understand the truth, that's a great prayer. Because so we could read the word and we could see the truth and we know it and understand it. But what we need to do is stand on and affirm and declare what is true, despite how we're feeling. Because what's happened is we've drifted away and we began to doubt or waver in our belief. And here's something, the problem is always with our believing the truth as it already is. It is truth. And our problem is just not laying hold of it. So what you're experiencing in your life and, and the feelings that you're having sometimes, they will, they will distort truth and cause you to waver. Because our, our, our emotions, have you not noticed, your feelings are very powerful. <laughs> They're very strong. And so what a lot of times what we want is our feelings to change before our thinking changes. But that doesn't work that way. The reason we're feeling a certain way is because we're believing and thinking a certain way. And it, 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 and I've talked about this before, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, you've got to where you're at some way, somehow, through a series of little bumps um, and beliefs to get you to the point where you started doubting or questioning or wondering. And now that you're there, you're experiencing a whole lot of trouble in your soul. And what you want is the trouble in your soul to go away. <laughs> Don't you? Really fast. That's why we're built. We're hungry. We want to eat. We have trouble. We want it to go away. We have difficulties. Uh, let's remove the difficulties. Is there an obstacle? Either get over it or around it or get through it. But I don't like obstacles. None of us like these troubles. But God gives them to us so that they would they'd help us to see and understand and know how it is we're to deal with ourselves. It's, as I've said before, you know, when you have the check engine light come up on your dashboard, it's telling you that there's a problem. And the check engine light on your dashboard of your soul is often how you're feeling, experiencing. If you're experiencing emptiness, loneliness, if you're experiencing uh, the lack of joy, a lack of love, and it, within you, it's like the check engine light's flashing. What you have to understand is when it's the check engine light's telling you to do 
It's telling that you are wavering from the truth. You're believing lies. That's probably what it should, the, the check engine light should probably just flash lies, 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 lies. You're believing lies. It's because you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's already done. It's complete. It's finished. This is reality. And God says, believe it. And here's the thing. When we believe it, we receive it. And when we receive it, it affects how we are feeling. And it's never the other way around. You can never, you can never trick yourself either. You try to trick yourself. Sometimes you try and do almost anything you can to change your, your feelings. But when we, when we abide in Jesus and abide in the truth and we lay hold to what is true of Him and true of us and, and true of what He's done, when we're there, we, we find ourselves fulfilled. We find ourselves filled with love, joy and peace and from there flows ministry. So what I'd like us to do now is I I want us to turn our attention for a moment to the practical side of this and how it is that we abide in Jesus. Because God's love is refreshed as we abide in Jesus. So I want to talk about some practical things about how do we do this that are really helpful for us on a continual basis, a day-to-day basis of abiding in Jesus. Jesus says, as we looked at in John 15, that our work, that the thing that we are to do is to abide in him. And if we do that, he will produce all kinds of fruit from our lives. So don't try to produce fruit. Seek to abide. Abide in him. Rest in him and who he is and what he's done. And so we have to learn what does this mean? How do we do this on a day-to-day basis? In Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus gaining massive crowds because of his Incredible ministry. And we find something that is at the heart of all of even Jesus' fruitfulness. And here's how it reads in verse 15 of chapter 5 of Luke. Now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would commonly, imagine this now, massive crowds want you. They're into you. They're flooding after you. You're incredibly popular. You're incredible. Your time and ministry is demanded of. Everybody wants your attention. Everybody wants what you could get, give to them. Everybody's, these crowds are flocking to him. And it says he'd often, very often find desolate places wherever he could getting away to pray. No matter how popular he became, this is what he focused on. Because he put a premium on getting away to spend time with the Father. His output in ministry was was the result of the input he received from his Father, his communion with the Father. Jesus liked to say, and he said this often, that I can do nothing apart from the Father. Because we are one. The work that I do is my Father's work. It is my food to do the will of my Father. Jesus was all about union and communion with his Father and in and through that ministry. And in the same manner, as Jesus told us in John 15, we can do nothing apart from him because we are one with him. And as we abide with him, then fruitfulness comes out of our ministry. 
This means that we can't just learn about the death of Jesus on the cross for us, understand justification by grace alone through faith alone, and then move on to other doctrines as if it's just about learning some facts. We have to abide continually in Jesus because it's easy to slip away from the true source of our strength, the true source of our fruitfulness in ministry. We have to do more than just offer up to God a help me prayer. Help me, Lord. Read our two verses of the Bible and then be headed off on our day. We need to learn to dwell with God and abide in Jesus by the Spirit. This means we have to learn to approach God and commune with God as a spiritual activity, not as a cerebral activity. We're just not trying to go and learn some things. We're actually trying to go and commune. Jesus spent time with the Father. He had to get away because he knew he he, he wanted to spend time with him. This relationship was vital and necessary and the one that meant everything to him. A massive priority. And so this is this is something we have to learn and understand how to do. How do we commune with the Lord? And one of the things we have to understand is that we commune with God in our spirit. This is, this is important. We don't commune with him in our head, like in a sense of just gaining data. We commune with him in our spirit. God is spirit, and his spirit is united to our spirit, and it's in the spirit and through the spirit that we commune with the Father. This means that we have to become aware of God's presence even with us. And it it, it should affect how we read the scriptures and how we pray. So praying and reading should be done in the spirit, not not just cerebrally to get it done. And to think there's no spiritual food if all you do is to say say your, your Bible reading for the day is three chapters a day or two or one or whatever it is, or you read a devotional book with some scriptures in it. Just getting through it, we can't think of it, uh, now that I did that, that's my spiritual nourishment, and now, I, now I'm good to go. What we have to do is learn to read, even read the scriptures in the spirit, which means that we get it out of our heads and let it drop into our hearts. So, so like, when you approach the scriptures and you read, it should be the sense of being in God's presence and God speaking to you, and he's speaking to you in the spirit. And so you read the words in this way. And so it's a, it's a manner of approaching even the scriptures. So that you, you, God speaks to you in the spirit as you read the scriptures. And as opposed to, you're not seeking to learn some things so you can figure things out in your head. You're, see, you're seeking to commune with the Father. So God, you can delight in who he is and what he's done for you. And this ends up being a mixture then of, of praying and reading all at the same time. The, even the words inform your prayers and you dialogue with God. But it it's really is important, and this has been pivotal in my life and a big shift for me, is to really get out of my head so much and always trying to figure things out and let it sink into my heart and let God and commune with the Lord in my spirit where God dwells. So communing with them there is vitally important because I can even rationally think through the doctrine of justification 
and how I'm justified before God and what this means and what it doesn't mean and, and then all the different heresies that have come along and, and, into, and, and twisted or perverted or shaped that somehow and interact with those. There's all kinds of mental gymnastics I can do with the scriptures. And not once did I commune with God. But what I'm supposed to do is I, I need to, one of the things I have to really get in me and dwell and where I have to abide is in Jesus and who he is and what he's done for me. Because unless you or I really get the sense of knowing who, who Jesus is and what he's done for us, like do you have a real true sense of love and joy and peace on the fact that my God he loves me. He delights in me. He is pleased with me. He smiles at me. And how do I know that? It's a fact. Jesus. That doesn't, that can't ever get old. It never does. The depths of it are, are, you're unable to plumb. This is why, going back to Ephesians 3, that's what Paul said, didn't he? He says, that surpasses this love that surpasses knowledge and understanding. You can dwell on that. You can think about that. And you can feast on that for eternity. It never gets old. When you, when you're thinking and dwelling on the love of God for you in Christ Jesus, and you get to the point where you actually can, you can, you believe and understand and see that God seriously delights in you seriously loves you, seriously smiles at you, seriously is well pleased with you. And because here's one of the things that you're always going to be confronted with. You know you. Every day, and the struggle is, you're like, but he knows me in here where a lot of people don't. And this is where the trouble comes. I know what I'm like in here. I know, I know the dark corners. And so then we get looking at ourselves and focusing on ourselves and, and looking at ourselves. And then we look at the purity and the holiness of God and the impurity and the unholiness of my heart. I see my pride. I see my envy. I see my lust. I see my passions. I see covetousness. I see, oh, these dark corners. And what I want to do is like, I want to hide from God. I don't want to draw. I'm having troubles. I'm having troubles drawing near to God. And abiding in Jesus. And as soon as that happens, I no longer, my desire, if I feel this disconnect from God, or God's frowning at me, he's displeased with me, he's angry with me, he's separated from me, he's distant from me, I want to go hide in a cave somewhere. The last thing I want to do is ministry. The last thing I want to do is get on mission and start loving other people. And it's so easy to slip off this. So easy. I've really enjoyed this book by Ed Suzuki uh, uh, on prayer. And he put it well. He said this, The Psalms tell us to wait patiently on the Lord. He says, I used to read that as a kind of passive-aggressive move on God's part. Here I was, desperate for God, waiting and praying with all my heart. Would it kill him to show up when I pray? I have since learned that I had... Er- everything completely backwards. God has been waiting on us all along, but we are often too distracted, impatient, or fearful to meet with him. God's love is here and constant, and there is nothing I can do or feel to change that reality. I can ignore it or obstruct it, but I can't stop it. Learning to pray isn't about turning on the tap of God's love. 
Rather, learning to pray is about training ourselves to be present for the love of God that is already at work in our lives. He goes on to say that waiting on God is resting in the fullness of God and God's love. It's a peaceful practice that pulls us away from striving, fear, and defending boundaries. As we learn to trust that God is present and we even become more and more aware of his loving presence, we will begin to experience the transforming power of God in our lives. You simply can't resist living with greater compassion and grace after experiencing the acceptance and love of God. This is really what we need to do, is get to a place where we commune with and enjoy God and delight in his love for us. And here's one of the biggest problems with this, is distraction. Constant distraction. Because probably the, one of the hardest things for us to do is pull away from distraction and get to a solitary place of some kind so we can truly focus our attention on the Lord like we need to. And I say this because just think about how easy it is to get distracted by Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and the like. Is it easy? Have you ever been swallowed by this stuff? Thought you'd just have a look for two minutes, two hours later? What have I done? But you know, these pressures that we face today are like pressures and distractions of epic proportions. <laughs> you have really got to be diligent to stay away from certain things. Not because they're bad, and that's, that is the problem. It's not because they're bad. It's just simply because they're so easy to go towards. But Jesus also fa- faced incredibly difficult pressures and distractions. And what does it say in the text in Luke 5? That even though these crowds were increasing, people were around him constantly, he's, always, he's trying to find places to slip away and go and pray, spend time with the Father. There, you know, there's something that's even more deceptive, though, than just Facebook. It's the things that are good Christian things sometimes that can really also distract us and take us away from that needed communion with God. Even in the case of Jesus, if, what if you were him and that's your ministry? Ministry itself can be a total distraction where you pour yourself out completely towards it and you're just walking around empty do, doing stuff, thinking that this is somehow glorious and great, not abiding in, resting in Jesus. And just think about it. Just think about how many good Christian books are out there that can distract us. And how many different areas, even think of the Bible, how many different doctrines and areas we can really narrow in and focus on in the Bible that can distract us. You can focus on any aspect of God, his power, his wisdom, his justice, his holiness, his eternity. You can do all kinds of studies and get focused on particular areas. You can focus on prophetic literature. Or the historical narratives. You can focus on wisdom and counsel within scripture. You can focus on chiasms and textual criticism. There's an endless amount of things you could focus on. And nobody would say that's bad. It's good stuff. It's just, if it gets out of order or becomes a distraction from the central stuff, it becomes really bad. 
Because what happens if we can, you study anything and you get deeply entrenched in it and becomes everything to you, you drift away from the centrality of the love of God in Jesus. And you, you immediately drift off mission. Some of the ugliest Christians I know are those who are absolutely possessed with particular doctrines within the Bible or obscure themes in the Bible. But one thing's always absent. The presence and the love of God. They've slipped off the point. The centerpiece of it all is what God has done for us in Jesus. How much God has loved us and done for us. Because unloving people have drifted away from how much they've been loved. Always. If you want to get ugly, even as a Christian, just go off in some weird doctrines and get all wrapped up in them. And get just consumed by them. It's the books you read. It's the Christian. And every time you're so deceived because it's Christian after all. It's the Bible. Are you telling me, Dean, that you, uh, you can't study, you know, this, uh, this particular doctrine of, um, of how, how Mary was, was conceived by the Holy Spirit? Like that you can't dive into that for 10 years? You're telling me you can't do that? Well, no, I'm not saying you can't do that. This is weird. <laughs> and it's got you derailed. I mean, the fact is, like, even the, the miraculous conception in Mary through the Holy Spirit, you know, there's, believe me, there is lots to, you think, well, how can you dive into that? Well, there, there's lots to be dived into. Even questions about, they start getting into w- w- questions of whether or not Mary's egg was used or not. You know, it's like, part of you got to say, okay, stop, who cares, right? Let's just back off for a moment. The point, what's the point? You're missing the point. The point is God sent his beloved son into the world. Because he so loved the world. And the world is so lost. You know, if you're missing the whole point of the incarnation, the fact that God loved the world, sent his son to die for you so that you might be saved and delivered and brought into fellowship with him, into loving communion with him. There's the point that God loves you and wants to commune with you and he dwells with you. And the only way he could do that is by sending his son to save this crazy fallen world. You know, that centerpiece, that has to remain. You can't get off on the spoke somewhere and just dive in. And I'm telling you, it's, it's easy to get distracted like that. So easy. We have to keep at the center the fact that God loves us, that God accepts us, that God delights in us, and God's pleased in us. And we've got to abide in that and dwell in that. This is where this is abiding in Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. And you cannot plumb the depths of the glories of this. And I'm telling you, if your heart comes alive with this reality and you believe the truth of how much God loves you, you are going to be a person who recklessly loves. And I really don't want us to go away from the series with any sense of pressure to go, yeah, you've got to get going and doing the things for God because if you don't get on mission, you know, God is not pleased with you and, and just have this whole, whole guilt and, and, and pressure and understanding of, the, of this 
getting going and, and getting on mission and doing things for God. As Jesus said, okay, if you want to go do that and you get away from abiding in me, you'll produce no fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to want to do things for God. I want you to want to be on mission for God. Because your heart is filled with the love of God. And if this happens... If we abide in Christ and daily seek to go after him and rest in him and delight in him and spend time with him and be affected by him, this, the community around you is going to start to be impacted dramatically. Your neighbors are going to start to be ministered to. The people around you will be loved because once you're loved, what you want to do is love. And so this is central. This is, this is pivotal. And I'm telling you, you are not going to remain here. You're not going to abide here unless you actually take the time to get away. You've got to get away from all the distractions. And you've got to go and meet with God and commune with Him in prayer. You have got to have time every day, hopefully maybe multiple times a day, where you can get away from distractions And take the moments you can, even in the midst of your busyness. Maybe you carve out five minutes, times, steps, places throughout the day, lunch hours, uh, breaks, whatever it is, to get away. And you've got to get to that place where you go and you delight in and meditate on and lay hold of God's love for you in Jesus. And then from that, praising Him, delighting in Him, glorifying Him, just enjoying him. If this doesn't happen, and if this isn't happening, you're not abiding in Christ in the way that you need to to produce fruit. It's just the way it is. And you know, it doesn't take long to drift away. Every one of us, I can testify and you can testify that I can drift away from the love of God and get off doing my own thing. And then at that moment, I'm, I'm hungry. I start to get hungry and I start going and looking for other things to fill me. And I'm looking at all kinds of other things and all these things are wrong. And now I've got guilt. And now I'm, uh, because I've got guilt, I don't really, I'm not too hot on going to spend time with God. Because I think now he's really displeased with me and he's angry and I'm ashamed. And again, What's that light flashing saying? Dean, lies. You are believing lies. You're drifting away from center. You've drifted away from Christ and who you are in him. I've got to get back to the truth. Abide in Christ. Abide in this love. Dwell on it. Realize that God loves me and I have to, this is the truth and the reality. He's, he, he's the one who said it. It's the, it's the truth. He loves me. I'm connected to Jesus. He loves me because of that reason for what Jesus has done for me, not because of who I am. And once that happens, it transforms our lives. So as we go from here, as the series ends and it's all done, you know, the one thing, the centerpiece, the, the center point of it all that I hope we go away with is that, you, you know, you will not get on mission and you won't go do anything from here this day forward until you abide in Jesus. Abide in Him. Abide in His love. 
Abide in who He is and what He's done for you. Be filled up with Him and watch what happens. So let me exhort you. Let me encourage you all. Seek Jesus. Go after Him. Delight in Him. Commune with Him and make it a priority in your life. Because if that becomes a priority in your life, ministry and mission will become a priority in your life. Amen. Father, we're thankful that you have loved us the way you have in Jesus. So thankful that you remind us often and that you've shown us the way of fruitfulness and ministry. You've shown us the way of strength and power. You've shown us the way of life and hope. You've shown us the way of godliness. Oh, oh Lord, all of us, every person here would abide in Jesus and remain in Him and delight in Him and commune with Him and knowing that we can do nothing apart from Him. Lord Jesus, apart from You, we can do nothing. May we dwell on You and rest in You and remain in You. For we ask this in Your name. Amen.